Welcome to the History of Christianity podcast with Stephen Bedard. Please visit me at historyofchristianitypodcast.com. One of the most important events of not just the early church, but the church in general, is that of the First Council of Nicaea that took place in 325. We can actually look at the church in terms of before and after this council. In fact, one of the most popular collections of the Church Fathers breaks it into two series. The Antinician Fathers, that is, those fathers before Nicaea, and the Nicaean and post-Nicaean Fathers. This is not just a convenience of length that they fit nicely into two series, but this is actually a significant dividing line in church history. Why was this council called? Remember, this was not like modern times when it was convenient and popular to attend theological conferences at a nice hotel, checking out the book tables and networking for the next opportunity. There had never been anything quite like this before, and traveling to the locations would have been difficult, even with the supposed safety of Pax Romana, there would have to be a good reason to have a council. This council, which was called in part by Emperor Constantine the Great, was to deal with the Arian controversy. This was not an attempt, despite the popular conspiracy theories, for Constantine to take over or control the church. Rather, this was a fragile time for the empire. There had recently been widespread persecution of Christians. Christianity had been made a legal religion, although not the official religion of the empire. An intense controversy over the teachings of Arius on the nature of Jesus was threatening the peace. It's hard for us to understand in our secular world how a theological debate could be a threat to the empire, but it could, and it was. And so the council was called, and it would take place in Nicaea. Nicaea was a Greek city in Bithynia, in modern-day Turkey. If you want to visit today, it's found in the modern city of Iznik. The original plan was for all of the Christian bishops to attend. This would be roughly 1,000 in the east and 800 in the west. A far smaller number showed up. The exact number is debated, but it was probably close to about 300 which is still impressive, as nothing like this had happened before. Of course, the bishops did not come alone and had permission to bring two priests and three deacons. There was no one bishop that was in charge of everything. Definitely the Bishop of Rome, later known as the Pope, was not the sole leader, although he was important. There were certain bishoprics that were historically considered important and these bishops were patriarchs. These included Alexander of Alexandria and Eustathius of Antioch, who were present at Nicaea. The largest representation was from the east, but there were some from the west. Sylvester I, Bishop of Rome, was not there, but he did send representatives. Interestingly, the Western bishops were not as concerned about the Arian heresy as they saw it as an Eastern controversy. So what was the makeup of the council theologically, at least in the context of Christology? Obviously, the Arian party was there, 
Arius himself was not a bishop and could not sit in the council, and so he was represented by Eusebius of Nicomedia. There was a small party of bishops that strongly condemned Arianism, led by Alexander of Alexandria, teacher of Athanasius of Alexandria. Remember that name. There was another small group that followed Patropastianism, which held that the Father and the Son are the same, and so we could say that the Father suffered on the cross. However, the majority of bishops belonged to none of these groups, and they just wanted peace among the churches and were open to a compromise. Hey, do you enjoy this podcast? There's some costs that go along with creating this and some of my other podcasts. One way you can support me is through Patreon. Those who support me there get some extra resources, including a free preview for an online course I'm putting together called An Introduction to the Bible. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I post the videos to Patreon as soon as I make them, and it might be a year before the course is available to purchase. And you can watch the videos just by supporting me with $2 a month. Please go to patreon.com slash hopesreason. Again, that's patreon.com slash hopesreason. Thanks for considering it, and please enjoy the episode. Eusebius of Nicomedia hoped that a clear presentation of the Arian view would be sufficient to sway the uncommitted bishops, but he was wrong. The claim that Jesus was only a creature greatly strengthened the anti-Arian sentiment, and it was determined to condemn the teachings of Arius. The result was what has become known as the Nicene Creed. The version that I will share here is a longer version than what you probably have heard in church. It goes like this. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things, visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth, who for us men and for our salvation came down and was incarnate and was made man. He suffered, and the third day he rose again, ascended into heaven. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, and in the Holy Spirit. But those who say, There was a time when he was not, and he was not before he was made, and he was made out of nothing, or he is of another substance, or essence, or the Son of God is created, or changeable, or alterable, they are condemned by the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. The anathema at the end would eventually be dropped, but The Nicene Creed is the most universally accepted Christian creed. The Apostles' Creed was used primarily in the West and is used by Roman Catholics and Protestants today. 
but the Nicene Creed was accepted in both the West and East. In the Nicene Creed, one of the key words is the Greek homoousios, which is translated as the same substance. It is meant to show that the Son was just as divine as the Father and not a created being. It would eventually cause some issues with those who diminish the difference between the Father and the Son, such as in Patripassianism. The creed was adopted and the bishops rejected the Arian position. In addition to the theological and ecclesial rejection, Emperor Constantine added a legal punishment in banning Arian bishops from their cities. Constantine would eventually lighten up on the Arians and be baptized by an Arian bishop. It should be noted that despite what some people claim, Jesus did not get voted into being God by the Council of Nicaea, like the Roman emperors were often deified by the Senate. All the groups present, including the Arians, believed in the divinity of Jesus. The question was about the relationship of the Father to the Son. There was a continuum with the Arians on one side saying they were both divine but also completely separate, and the Patripassianists on the other saying that the Father and the Son were identical. The position that was adopted in Nicaea was somewhere in the middle. The Arian controversy was not the only thing dealt with at Nicaea. There was also the date of Easter. This was a major issue and one that did not go away after this council. There had been a couple of ways of calculating the date of Easter. One was keeping it tied to the Jewish calendar and linking it to Passover. The other was an independent Christian computation that had no relation to the Jewish calendar. In the end, it was agreed to separate from the Jewish calculation, but this controversy would return. There was also the Miletian schism. Miletius, who had broken away from the church, was allowed to keep his title as bishop. However, he was not to ordain others, and anyone ordained by him would have to be reordained by approved bishops. Finally, there were the 20 canons that made decisions on a number of different issues. Instead of reading the full text of the canons, I will read the summary that can be found at the Wikipedia page for the First Council of Nicaea. I'll leave a link to the full text in the show notes. These are the 20 canons. Prohibition of self-castration for clergy. Establishment of a minimum term for catechumens. Prohibition of a man and a woman who have both taken vows of chastity to live together in a chaste and non-legalized partnership. Ordination of a bishop in the presence of at least three provincial bishops and confirmation by the metropolitan bishop. Provision for two provincial synods to be held annually. Confirmation of ancient customs giving jurisdiction over large regions to the bishops of Alexandria, Rome, and Antioch. Recognition of the honorary rights of the See of Jerusalem. Provision for the agreement with the Novatianists, an early sect. Elders who had been ordained without sufficient examination were not to be recognized. Elders who had lapsed but had not been found out were to be deposed. Mercy was enjoined towards those who had lapsed without compulsion, even though it was recognized that they did not deserve it. 
Those who had left the military but later sought out to be restored to their military position were to be excommunicated depending on the sincerity of their repentance. They could be readmitted to the communion earlier. Those who were fulfilling penance could receive communion if they were dying, but if they got well again, they were to finish their penance. Catechumens who lapsed were to have three years as hearers before being allowed to become catechumens again. Bishops, presbyters, and deacons were not to wander into neighboring cities to officiate. Clergy who refused to return to their home church were to be excommunicated, and the ordinations of those who were ordained by these wandering clergy were to be considered null and void. Prohibition of usury among the clergy. Precedence of bishops and presbyters before deacons in receiving the Eucharist. Declaration of the invalidity of baptism by Paulian heretics. Prohibition of kneeling on Sundays and during Pentecost. Standing was the normative posture for prayer at this time, and it still is among the Eastern Christians. Kneeling was considered most appropriate to penitential prayer, as distinct from festive nature of Eastertide and its remembrance every Sunday. The canon was designed only to ensure uniformity of practice at the designated times. Notice that there is nothing here about the determining of the canon of the New Testament. There's a persistent myth that Constantine determined the canon of the New Testament. Neither Constantine nor the bishops at Nicaea voted on the books that were to be in the New Testament. It just was not on the table. But we will be looking at the current state of the canon very soon. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please visit me at historyofchristianitypodcast.com and track me down on Facebook and Twitter. You can support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash hopesreason. Even $2 a month, less than a cup of coffee can make a difference. Thanks for your ongoing support. Thank you and God bless.